holiday greetings from Third Flatiron Publishing in Boulder, Colorado and Air, Scotland. The winter equinox is the proper season for a chilling story by Keeley Rue called Rust Never Sleeps. It's about a lone spacefarer's attempt to stay sane while crossing the cold expanse. The author describes it as the yellow wallpaper in space. Keeley is an illustrator and author living in Air, Scotland, and has created all the covers for Third Flatiron anthologies. She is a graduate of the University of Glasgow and has worked as a comic bookmonger and a foam sword merchant. For more free podcasts from Third Flatiron, check out our website at thirdflatiron.com and subscribe to our feed. And now, here's Rust Never Sleeps, read by Keeley Root. Rust Never Sleeps by Keely Rue After waking, what she always feels the most is heavy. The ship's centrifuge, she thinks. When February begins to think of herself waking on this spinning ship, an image from her old world culture's reading always floats to the top of her mind. The relic of some saint, his blood dried to a black smudge within a glass ampule. Cold blood the body that shed it hundreds of years dead, slowly liquefying and flowing in its hermetic container. A miracle. This is how February wakes up on the spaceship, by the miracle of some forty generations of the project's science and research. And it's something like faith that has brought her out here now, the older one's stories of a benign blue sky, a stormless world, where life above ground was as easy as it always looked in pictives. When she imagined the new sky where the ship would finally arrive, hovering, February always remembered one of her favorite pictives. It had filled her eyes with a woman in a broad-brimmed hat, smiling and waving. Her mouth had been painted red, and bright sun, or lights in a studio perhaps, February never knew, shone on her shoulders. That was the promise. A sun so bright you would wear a hat to block it. Land preceded with fat kerneled grasses and beneficent bacteria. A new start for the few humans remaining, dwindling, slumbering under the earth. February had pledged her life to the project. Remember, all these futures depend on you. You're a caretaker for a hundred thousand lives and the destiny of the human species. The ansible is like two tin cans on a string the hoary old quantum trick of paired electrons put to its only viable use. It's not so much the communication that February appreciates. She's one of hundreds of such ships, and the messages are always brief, cheerful, and anonymous. What February finds irresistible about the device is the idea that she's sharing time with her planet, that she and Project Control and all of the spring ships are traveling forward in the fourth dimension together, in step. It's one of the few times she isn't alone. Okay, okay, February admits to herself. She's never really alone. Every time she wakes, she can, by looking to her right and to her left, immediately see 30,000 other souls. The creches curve away into the distance. The ship is roughly a triangular prism, its faces covered with solar panels to collect the free energy of the stars, like a great filter feeder. Beneath more shielding and complex wiring, the spring ship's true purpose lies dormant, 
Hundreds of rows of creches hold thousands of sleepers, dreamers like February, who have seen a little of the old world and instead thrown themselves into constructing the new world. This is the trust they have all given the project. This is the gift February has been given to protect. Crash February wakes up in, tossing and turning in her cables for a few minutes, before throwing aside the semi-opaque tissue envelope and pressing the button to free herself, is bang in the middle of one face of the ship. The crashes on either side of her are identical, except that they lack this button. They will all be automatically activated only once, when the ship reaches its destination. The crashes are self-cleaning and self-repairing. The sleepers inside float in a precisely calibrated antifreeze coolant solution, keeping them at negative 6 C. February's job mostly revolves around this fluid, which is slightly volatile and must be recalibrated frequently. She must mix in the silicates and phosphates which prevent the coolant from turning corrosive. She cleans and maintains the filters, emptying the sour mint green liquid back into the cistern. This could be done automatically. Almost everything is automated, run by machines and subroutines. In many ways, it is no different from where February grew up, windowless, studded with electric lighting, corridors narrow and thickly painted to prevent rust. The starship is the design of generations of engineers who have been dreaming of walking where she walks, dreaming of the space to stretch their legs. February may not have to do a thing, but she is here to wake, and to watch for something to go wrong. After 360 days asleep, the machines will start to raise her temperature, and she will wake automatically. And every time she wakes, February has five days, at her discretion, to check that everything is ship-shape and to perform basic maintenance. The older ones found something cute about this timing, which they were unable to get across to February exactly. Something about the tilt of the Earth, different amounts of solar energy on the surface at different times. February found most discussions of the planet's surface very abstract. As far as she had seen it, the roof of the world was a lot like when one of the walls failed in the underground cities, flooding a chamber. Loud, terrifying, with all the brutality of loose, freezing water. For a vast ship with a hundred thousand residents, the domestic facilities are decidedly minuscule. February prepares her meals and eats in a cubicle the size of a broom closet, and bathes in another tissue envelope attached to a shower head. And there's a cot, for resting a few hours when the lights automatically dim, to keep herself optimally alert during the 120 hours or so of checking procedures. Remember, all these futures depend on you. You're a caretaker for a hundred thousand lives, and the destiny of the human species. A hundred thousand seems like a lot. February thinks about doing a head count, maybe a survey of some kind. She's always wondered what proportion of remaining humanity the project represented. Certainly everyone she knew was involved in it, and always had been. She supposes that many of the creches contain hands and minds that worked on this ship, and that some will have instructions for what to do when they get to the new world. The work week is always already over by the time February's curiosity finds a research question to latch onto, and by the next time she wakes, the questions she wondered about have melted away like a dream. After losing count of how many times she has slept and woken, February starts to notice things building up. Her own uncut hairs, fallen out of her braids, float around the corners of the ship, 
and ball up like tumbleweeds. Skin flakes are a visible presence in the air wherever she goes. When she cleans and replaces the filters for her own bodily excretions, she thinks she probably understands why the shipbuilders wanted to keep crew to a minimum. She notices changes in herself, too. Hands that had been smooth now show vein and sinew beneath faded, translucent skin. February touches the crashes, which are always clammy. She can see patches in the wet where her fingerprints have touched, coating the glass in oily sebum. February can see, in some of the crashes that she checks now, that there's condensation under the glass. She mentions it on the Ansible and gets told to double-check the temperature settings. Remember, all these futures depend on you. You're a caretaker for a hundred thousand lives, and the destiny of the human species. February dutifully tries to take it all very seriously, but the whole thing seems patently flawed. If this was such an important part of such an important mission, why was it assigned to one person alone? Maintaining the underground passages had always taken everyone together, working to patch all the leaks and places where the metal warped and pulled apart. She has five days alone to check out the ship, make sure everything is working properly, and then she will sleep for a year of automation. It's what she does really enough. February wakes in a panic, sweating, her limbs weak and senseless. She's sure she's slept too long. It seems like hours before the blood comes back to her hands and she can strike the button to drain the body temperature bath outside her tissue envelope, zip it down, and fall out of the hard shell of the crash. She lies there, crumpled, breathing hard. After a minute or two, she is able to get up and totter to the consoles to check what has gone wrong. Everything appears perfect. All the readings are optimal. February wonders if she is imagining things. She's on her sixth lap around B-Wing when she sees it. One of the lights has gone into its dim cycle early. She sits in the corridor between the feet of two sarcophagi, watching the dim light. When the rest of the lights go quiet to tell February to rest, she stays up and sees the single light at the top left-hand side of B-Wing flutter and flare up, hours before all the others. Her steps guided by some weird whim, February climbs up to the crushes beneath the bright light. Inside, she can just see the outlines of a face under a well-starched sheet. The readout console hums a serene green. She stands, watching crushes for another cycle. Nothing else happens with any of the crashes nearby. The rogue light dims, leaving her in machine twilight, pierced only by the rows of gentle green stars. She doesn't know how much to say about it the next time she's on the Ansible, and so she says nothing. The operator seems to pick up on the stress in her voice regardless. The result is a rare personal address from the human on the other end of the line. February, we're counting on you to keep calm. She's right. February has got to keep calm. There's very little to do on the ship, and so it's all the more important that she does the very little to the very best of her abilities. February rededicates herself to strict routine and daydreams of a bright new sky. She makes herself a broad-brimmed hat out of foam from the base of her cot, and wears it when she passes the anachronistic light. The heaviness comes upon her strongly now. And now it doesn't stop for many hours after waking. February pokes at her midsection, feeling atrophied. 
She feels something inside her crunch softly, like cartilage on a chicken bone. She can imagine a hundred grisly fates within the black box of her body. February spends the next wake cycle in and out of the auto dock, trying to replace her worry with bruising from various blood draws. She succeeds only in having it all. Endless lists of questions about her habits and medical history fail to distract her from anxiety. The computer knows all the answers anyway from her sign-up with the project when she was eight. The machine looks for changes, different blood counts, serum levels. February is more concerned that the changes the autodoc finds will be in these questions. Why are you here? What is it that you do? Do you believe in us? The autodoc finds nothing wrong, except that her cortisol is elevated. The machine prescribes her a mild sedative. She takes it, sometimes, when she thinks it would be a good idea. February is seeing the ship differently now. The smoothed-out corners, the bolted-down panels. When everything was working fine, a comforting testament to the refinement and elegance of the project's design. But now that things are malfunctioning, the inaccessibility of the ship's parts and systems has become sinister. They don't want her to know what is at work here because... She trembles at the thought of it. Because we're not all pulling together on this. February finds something wrong. After finally deciding to put herself back in the crash, after sleeping again, after arising refreshed and reinvigorated, when she goes to do her job, she finds something has gone wrong. The fluid in the filtration tanks is the wrong color. It has the wrong smell. A very specific smell. Iron. And where the antifreeze had been pale green, it now has a very faint tinge of pink. She's passing through B-Wing when she sees it. The drip. It takes a slow, curving path, arcing improbably in front of her face before splattering against the ceiling. She climbs four ladders. She has to stop and rest more often now, and walks down a dozen gantries to find where it hit. The impact is shockingly small when she finally locates it, not even a hand's breadth. It seems so loud, the echoes going on and on. She had expanded it in her mind to the size of a crater. February touches the wet patch and sniffs her fingertips. The scent is sharp, pungent. Acid, slightly volatile. The clay undertone of the silicates and the phosphates. And over it all, iron. February wipes up the spot with the tail of her coverall, giving the cloth a ruddy stain. Then she goes to look for the source of the drip. February climbs and climbs, from the outer corners of the prism faces where gravity is quite a strong suggestion, to the center where it seems frivolous. She follows the sound of water. She forms theories about the path of the drip, even witnessing it again several times. The motion of the ship and the droplet and herself plumb spirographs deep into her spatial awareness. But when she reaches the sarcophagus she thinks must be the source of the leak, it is immaculate. Every connection is tight, surfaces spotless except for the dust, the tiny hairs, and the handprint she leaves on the glass. Nothing creepy or bloody or anything like that, just a handprint in that little bit of fog on the glass to tell herself later that she's been here before. And then she hears it, echoing away in another part of the ship, the drip. And February climbs and spins and arcs away after it. 
It's during this time looking for the drip that February sees the first problems with the crash temperatures. Just in passing, she has happened to glance at the readout for one of the sarcophagi. A tiny red light is blinking there, no bigger than her pinky nail. It takes her a moment to remember, to think back to her training, to read these outputs. It has been an immeasurable amount of time since she last had to put these skills to use. She reads, The temperature of this crash has risen five degrees. If it rises two and a half more degrees, this individual's cells will start to be warm enough to have a metabolism, to consume resources and die, and to trigger either waking, into a deadly state of hypothermic coma, or apoptosis, waves of cell death. In her own crash, she would be heated gently and smoothly through the danger, to wake with only pins and needles as her blood began to move again. February looks at the opaque envelope and tries to see through to the face within. The ship, she realizes now, is not built for her to be able to fix what goes wrong. February The shock of hearing her own name over the ansible makes February fall out of her chair. She scrambles back to the cabinet and pushes the button to reply. Yes? Hello? 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 Her voice sounds so terrible. Weak and scratchy. The voice on the Ansible comes back warm and rich. February, we're worried about you. She swallows, wets her lips. About me? According to the ship's auto-generated data, you've taken only... The voice paused slightly, as if checking its figures. Ninety-one of your allotted sleep days in the past ten cycles. What's going on out there? Oh, February begins. The main thing is the coolant. Are the components for the coolant sufficient and being mixed in proper quantities? Yes, but I need some way to reverse the corrosion that's already happened. The Ansible picture flickers slightly. February squirms in her chair. Increase the phosphates to 1.3 lemograms per... Won't that just slow further corrosion? What about rebuilding the pitting of surfaces? I know there's a way to dry patch with an alloy kit. Increase the phosphates to 1.5 lemograms per heptaliter. Do I have an alloy kit? You will not need to use an alloy kit. Adjust the composition of the coolant. But it's coming from the ship, isn't it? The iron and the coolant? means the ship is rusting through. A pause at the other end. Then, February, we're counting on you to keep calm. How much longer? You know it wouldn't be meaningful to say. You'll wake up to it. Just think that if you keep up the appropriate maintenance, one day, you'll wake up, and you'll all be there. Lights have gone out. Whole banks of lights. February can't find the fault. The wiring is behind walls of steel. The only thing she has access to are these vats of antifreeze. The extra phosphates and silicates make it sluggish and cloudy, but its color still darkens every time she changes the fluid. February spends a good deal of time with the Ansible manual, even though it is extremely brief and well-illustrated. She is beginning to suspect something. It's well into her sleep period when she calls again, and she is not surprised to get an immediate answer. How many of the other ships have reached their destination? 
February, you sound upset. Have you checked your medication levels with the auto doc? Okay, that's what I thought. And there is no Ansible, right? I'm not really communicating with Earth when I talk to this. I know it's true, so you don't have to do a subroutine that's a lie to try and convince me. Talking to Project Control is thought to be psychologically protective. You don't know what's happened to Earth or anyone else. You don't even know what's going to happen to me. You're just programmed to tell me that it's going to be okay. Without waiting for more answers, February dashes the Ansible receiver to the ground and stalks off along the rows of sarcophagi, through the light and dark patches, flickering red and green. The covered faces behind the glass of the creches have turned from white to red. Her mind races through possibilities. They gave her lives in trust, but they never even began to trust her. Was putting her in charge of the ship a safety measure? Safe hands at the wheel? Or did the engineers get more out of the idea of ridding the world of all these failed futures? Were they counting on her to crack up? So much easier to think about the generations of decisions that had put her in space as something venal, earthly. Greed, contempt, a yearning for more space and a fresh start. If it had been that, she would have been cheated out of her hundreds of thousands of lives by a real villain, not just everyone's best efforts and hopes failing, one by one. February dips her hand into the coolant, brings up tips sticky with the red iron antifreeze, and smears it across her mouth. She puts on her hat and lays back in her crash. No need for the concealing envelope. She wants to feel the sun on her face when they get there. She is smiling, and, in her mind, she's waving. And she's with everyone, together. All of them sleep and dream together. February's eyes flicker, making ripples in the blood that laps at her eyelashes. The ship floats on through the void, away from the earth, towards what harbor none yet know. Thanks for listening to this podcast from thirdflatiron.com. Original music by Disco Volante. Sound production was by Andrew Cairns.